I want us to build the best franchise in the National Football League from the way that we travel to the way that we do things, the way that we treat people. I want to be a part of the best organization in pro football. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here and welcome into a special bonus edition of Half Forgotten History. It's a bourbon time episode, courtesy of our friends at Maker's Mark, because we're reclaiming the hour of 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern as your time to sit down and do whatever it is you do. Maybe have a glass of Maker's Mark straight bourbon whiskey. Our friend and guest in this week's special episode is Panthers head coach Matt Rule. I've known Matt for a while. Followed his collegiate career. He coached my alma mater, Baylor University, for some seasons and turned around the program. He's trying to do that now in the NFL, although it's under very challenging circumstances. His first year was the 2020 season when they had no offseason because of COVID. And now, of course, all the vaccinations and the rise of the Delta variant have created all kinds of problems in camp again. So here now, enjoy a very special bonus bourbon time episode of Half Forgotten History with my friend, Panthers head coach, Matt Rule. All right, Matt, let's start here. What would 2021 Panthers head coach Matt Rule say to 2020 Panthers rookie head coach Matt Rule that really would have helped him a year ago? Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, you know what? Um, I think I would have told myself, like, um, um, you know, roll with it as it comes. Take everything as it comes because uh, there was a lot of adversity last year. You know, I I, – I woke up every morning, went to see if there was a new email about a new protocol. You know, we were all as a society, like trying to figure out what was happening. Um, you know, I was dealing with kids, new schools, trying to take care of them. But every day, you know, walking into a new environment. Uh, last year, I was shaking people's hands and introducing myself. Yeah. Now I know everyone. So I, I would have just told myself, like, hey, don't stress too much about everything. Just take it as it comes. But the, the benefit is on the backside, you're going to be a way better coach for having been through it than, than if you, than, than if you had not been through it. Right. Well, I always felt like the, the first year head coaches last year really had to be thrown in a blender. And, and obviously you had been a part of an NFL staff with the giants that one year in 2012, but to be thrown in as a first time head coach in the NFL with, with essentially no way of dealing with your players for an entire off season. How much of a handicap was that? I think it was a huge handicap. It was, it was a handicap in terms of, like building relationships, yeah. you know, like there's a difference between like, uh, you know, having, knowing, a, having a contact or knowing someone and having a relationship with someone. And I don't, I, I don't care what people say. This is a relationship business. I mean, guys go out there week in and week out and sacrifice for the team. And, um, um, it's hard to ask people to do that when, when they don't really know, you know, does this guy care about me? Does this guy have my best interest? Does he know what he's talking about? I think as, as you go through OTAs in the spring, you know, you build those connections and we didn't have those last year. And I think the second thing, which is often underlooked is you really don't know what you have. Um, it's one thing to teach the players and you can teach a lot of things, you know, virtually, but we got to about game three and realized, you know what, some of these things that we thought we could do, they don't fit our skill set the best. And there was no, you know, the time to try things out, experiment with things. That's that's the spring. That's early in training camp. And we were doing that like game one, game two, game three. So it took us to about game three to really realize, okay, this is the scheme. This is the the, these are the plays that best fit our personnel. I think that's the essence of coaching that sometimes is lost. Right. I think a lot of people have a plan and then they want to implement the plan. But then you realize that 
that won't work for the talent that you have. And that's the adjustment that really is the most critical. Yeah. You know, people always talk about like halftime adjustments, you know, yeah. and I'm like halftime adjustments. You're, you're making adjustments like after the, the first five plays of the game, if you're any good. And, yeah. you know, I, I was at the Texas High School Coaches Association um, Hall of Honor. A good friend of mine, Joey McGuire from Baylor, was inducted. And I just I was looking at all those coaches and talking to a bunch of guys. And it's like they, they coach at the highest level of coaching, not in terms of how the world sees it, but they take the guys, the kids that walk into their building and they adapt what they do to fit those players. And I think that's the approach you have to take at this level. You know, one year you could have a guy that um, does something really well. And the next year, you know, you have a new player and, and he does something different better. And you have, you had better adjust and you had better be flexible and you want to have some core beliefs and some core philosophies, but, but the tactics to get those done uh, can change and they can change in a moment. You had the one year with the giant staff, but for most of your coaching career, you were at the collegiate level. What, what was the biggest difference that you noticed being a head coach at a big time college program and being a head coach in the NFL? What was, what was the, the biggest thing that was different? Personnel decisions, you know, um, uh, saying goodbye to guys, releasing guys, waving guys, you know, guy comes in and he gives you his all and he's a good football player and he's a good person and you love to coach him. Um, at the college level, uh, you develop guys for four years and then eventually they, you know, they, they, they graduate and move on. Whereas here, you could be, you know, you could be developing and working with a player for, for weeks, and all of a sudden, one day, he's he's no longer here anymore. And so, that to me is a huge, huge, huge difference. Um, it's one that, to be honest with you, I, I didn't really like. I much preferred, I much preferred not having to wave guys. But you know, it's part of the business of of the NFL. Yeah, and so last year was a very strange year across the league because of all the COVID restrictions. But you know, it's still here, and we're, we're getting a lot of pushback. Uh, or here, not a lot of pushback. We're hearing some pushback from some very prominent players uh, about whether or not they're going to take the vaccine and why they feel like they should or shouldn't have to take the vaccine. Obviously, as a tier one personnel, you've had to be vaccinated per the NFL policy. So what message do you try and send to the players to try and tell them, hey, guys, look, like we all have choices we got to make here. And if you want to be part of what we're doing here, this is the way the NFL is telling us we have to do it. Yeah, well, I'll say this first. I mean, I think I think we're amongst the top, you know, one, two or three most vaccinated teams in, in, in the National Football League. So from our staff to our players, there's been a huge commitment by the Carolina Panthers to be vaccinated. So um, a lot of that work was done on the front end. You know, I, I always tell people like, you know, you have decisions to make and I'm never going to tell you what decision to make. Um, but make no mistake, the best thing for our team, the best thing for the Carolina Panthers is to have as many people as possible vaccinated. It allows yeah. us to operate in a different way. It allows us to not have the, the fear or the distractions of guys being out week to week. I mean, there's there's just no doubt that it's better for us as an organization. Now, still, as a man, as a, as a woman that works here, you have to decide what you want to do. Um, but as for me, I, I got vaccinated. My wife got vaccinated. My son got vaccinated. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I didn't do. So I've, I've dealt with it on a very individual basis. Everyone's coming from a different place, but but it is clear that it is the best thing for our organization. Now, whether it's right for you or not, um, I've tried to leave it up to guys. And all I've asked, Trey, is like, before you make a decision, like, j just do it based off real information. Like, I'll have, I'll, I'll get anyone you want to talk to you, talk to you, talk to our, our doctors, talk to your own doctors. Just don't make it based off of, of information you heard or something someone told you. Make it based off of, off of off of scientific fact and finding and and then we'll, we'll live with whatever you decide 
Yeah, there's a lot of Facebook doctorates out there that I think sometimes get people confused. But, you know, it, it is it is to the point this year where, I mean, the NFL was pretty flexible about it last year, I thought, and, and basically gave players a lot of leeway before the vaccine was out there. But now the, the consequences are real. And, you know, as someone who is preaching, you know, we're, we're in this together, if there's someone that is still very reluctant, how do you sort of get them to understand you could cost us games now without feeling like you're browbeating them. Yeah. You know, and I don't believe I could ever get anyone to understand, you know, I, I, I just try to present facts and I try to present how I see it. And then yeah. people have to make their minds up, you know, I'm, you know I, I, I just really think it's that simple. Um, and, you know, I think it's worked, you know, that's, that's the good thing is, you know, I think it's worked, you know, and I've said that a couple of times, you know, and, and our PR people come running to me and saying, hey, you're getting beaten up for saying I'm not telling guys I need to get vaccinated. You know, uh, it's not my place. I'm not a doctor. I just yeah. know uh, as, as the head football coach of the Carolina Panthers, hey, this is this is what's best for us to operate and give ourselves an advantage. And, and for the most part, you know, pretty much everyone's done it. All right, so obviously let's look forward to the 2021 season now. And the big move you guys made in the offseason was trading for Sam Darnold. Uh, in what you saw of Sam in New York and what he didn't have to work with in New York, what made this move right for you guys? Well, you know, I looked at it like, you know, there was, there was, there was all kinds of things out there like, you know, you know hey, who, who do we want the quarterback of the future to be? You know, do we draft one? I mean, a lot of tough decisions. And I looked at it pretty simply like, this is a chance to get Sam Darnold plus J.C. Horn. You know, like yeah. we looked at J.C. Horn and said, this is this is one of those guys who doesn't come along very often. And we get to get what we think is one of the top young quarterbacks that's out there. And I, I think when you look at young quarterbacks, um, you know, everyone wants you to everyone wants you to be a master carpenter without being an apprentice carpenter. You know, like everyone wants you to jump from stage one to stage six. And if you look at most of the quarterbacks over the years, like they develop on good teams uh, to, 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 you know, to become ex elite quarterbacks. And so we think we're building a good team. We think we have a good foundation. And we thought Sam is 23 years old. Um, he's, you know, he's played three years in New York, um, coming into our system. You know, we know it, you know, we know he's starting over, but I think he's got the mindset. I think he's got the, you know, one thing you see when you watch them play, he's got the moxie, he's got the toughness. And as you, the more you asked about him, the more you, you realize that the people who've coached him and the players who played with him, respected him yeah. and so to me when you have a guy who works hard who players respect um who plays with some moxie and some toughness uh we, we just want to get him here develop him and, and and again the things that have hurt him you know we want to be part of the solution for him yeah one thing you just said i think don't people don't understand enough he's played three years in the league and he's only 23 years old i mean th that part of it i think from your perspective can't be overstated because you still have a guy potentially if things work out, that could be there for a decade, 15 years. Yeah. You know, I always look at it and say like, you know, like, you know, um, and I don't want to talk about other people, but like, you know, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre, you know, Steve yeah. Young, I played a little bit in Tampa Bay, but he sat behind Joe Montana. Like a lot of the great, great, great quarterbacks had a time to learn, you know, they, they, they played mop up duty. They went out there and uh, played in some preseason games They played the other team's quarterback and they were able to develop. And, you know, development is something that people talk about, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. You know, people say they're going to be patient. It's really hard to do. And so to me, um, you know, Sam's played three years. He's young, um, but he has to develop in our system. And I, I, every day can't be a referendum on, you know, where Sam Darnold is. Like, 
go make, I, I hope, I hope he has bad practices. I, I tell him all the time, man, I hope you have a bad practice here soon. Like, I hope you make mistakes because we really only learn from our mistakes. And, you know, we, tr- you know, we, you, we try to learn from others and all that, but really at the end of the day, like what changes our behaviors when we make a mistake. And so um, having him in the spring, he's a worker, he's a grinder. He takes things personally. He's a good teammate. He's a guy you root for. Now, now, now we all have to go out there and put him in good positions. Uh, it's okay, by the way, to mention Aaron Rodgers. I think everyone this offseason has mentioned his name 20 <laughs> or 30 times. So you're just you're just keeping up with the rest of us. I wouldn't worry about that. But, Purely but glad... talking about him at yes. his beginning of the Theoretically show. Theoretically sure. waiting. I get it. I get it. Uh, but it is funny you mentioned the bad practice thing. Because I have to chuckle. Look, I love football. I've always loved football. But in the social media era of covering football that we're in, it, it kind of makes me laugh, and I'm sure it, it exasperates you at times when you see someone live tweeting seven on seven drills, and it's like, hey, he threw four incompletions, or you know, there were three interceptions. It, you know, it's like it doesn't really matter. It, it, I think that we everybody is so thirsty for football, and it just proves where football is and the power rankings of sports in this country that any sort of nugget of information that someone can get sometimes is treated like the Rosetta stone as a coach. How does that, how do you deal with that? Uh, as best you can. I mean, I don't, yeah. it's not going away and it's not changing. No. So I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, as a head coach and I'm so unique and that I've been an NFL head coach for one year, but I was a college coach for seven years. And you know, when you have 18 to 22 year old kids, they're dealing with the same things. Um, you know, just trying to be a consistent force in their lives. Right. Just, trying to preach the same boring message. I mean, like, you, you can listen to, like, David Goggins, Jocko Willink, uh, the late, you know, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. You listen to anybody who's elite at what they do, and they basically talk over and over and over again about being being willing to work harder than the next man and being willing yeah. to do things that other people don't do and being willing to embrace failure. And so, like, as a coach, you have to just keep giving that message, like, this is what it takes to be great. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It happens over time. And along the way, there's going to be a lot of adversity. And so um, I remind myself of that. That's why I think I'm a better coach now than I was this time last year, because I tried to embrace the adversity of last year. And I hope Sam embraces the adversity he's had his first three years and allows that to push and propel him into a great new future. One other thing with Sam, which I thought was interesting, you made the trade uh, before the draft and you said, we're going to obviously we're going to pick up his option. But you didn't have to pick up the option until after the draft was over. Was there any part of the Panthers organization that was like, well, let's just see how things shake out in the draft and maybe something else might become available to us and then we'll figure out whether we're going to pick up that option? Well, I think part of it, too, was um, you know, there, there might have been a little bit of that. There also was, you know, we were in a position where a lot of people could trade up and we would have a chance to maybe gain assets. Yeah. And, um, you know, the thought of, hey, they might take a quarterback. Um could drive that market. And so we got to that spot and there wasn't the the market that we wanted. And so we, you know, we had, we had offers, but we went ahead and pulled the trigger on JC because we're so convicted on him. But, you know, to me, um, this is about keeping as many options open and trying to drive a trade market. I think you saw later in the draft, you know, we, we, we made a lot of trades and we knew that, you know, as part of this thing that we're trying to build, uh, heading into year two that, you know, the, mo- the more good players we could get on you know, in, in this past draft, the better it would be for us this year, but really more importantly, two and three years down the line. 
right, why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back with Matt Rule, we'll talk more about what his expectations are in his second season as head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Coming right back with Matt Rule right after this. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Bourbon Time. Even if you don't have the traditional 9-to-5 schedule, there's no denying that this past year has changed the way that work and rest intersect. Without a designated office to come home from, we're missing that natural break in our days. And our friends at Maker's Mark recognize this phenomenon and want to help us out a little bit. Beat the burnout and start blocking off the hour of 6 to 7 p.m. as your me time when you do what you love for you and only you. For me, I like to sit back with a nice drink of Maker's Mark over some ice. And what I love about Maker's Mark is it's so smooth. There's no bitterness and it's silky, kind of like all of Ron Burgundy's ties. It's fantastic. So let's make the idea of bourbon time a reality. Join me in reclaiming 6 to 7 p.m. as the happiest hour so you can do whatever it is that makes you happy. And if it involves a glass of bourbon, remember to drink Maker's Mark responsibly. Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol by volume, copyright 2021, Maker's Mark Distillery Incorporated, Loretto, Kentucky. Coach, we've all sort of had to find a way to deal with getting away from work with everything that's going on in the world with the pandemic that's been around us. How have you found time sort of just to, to have that separation from work to relaxation where you can sort of switch it off for a little bit? Yeah, I'm not great at switching it off, um, but I am great at, 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 at spending time with my family and my kids. You know, I, I try not to let work bleed into the things that are important for them. If I'm at Leona's soccer match, it's the most important thing in the world. If I'm at um, you know, Vivi swimming you know, contest, it's the most important thing in the world. So um, I think, you know, my wife and I do a good job of spending time together, you know, uh, going to dinner, hanging out together. Um, I love to read. So reading is a great time for me to kind of, you know, try to tr- shut my brain off. Um, I try to play a little golf, but I'm terrible. It makes me want to go back to the office. So that doesn't help. <laughs> and then now this summer, you know, we go up, we, you know, we're, we're Jersey Shore people. We go up to the shore and, and um, that's uh, that's always been really nice for us, just to you know the sand and all that. Quite often, I have a notebook and I'm writing as I'm sitting in the beach, but it's it is what it is. Just kind of curiosity, what kind of stuff do you like to read? Um, I like to read everything from like uh, mindset books to books about uh, football to books about business to psychology. Like, like he's the, hold on. oh, look at that! We're going to the Matt Rule Library here. I love these, it. What these, do we got? These, these are the books I have to. These are the books that I'll read during training camp, so I'll try to I'll try to not. Well, well, watch well read, read read those offers for those that'll be listening instead of viewing. What are what are the Matt Rule training camp Intan- books? Intangibles by Joe and Ryan. It's an awesome book. It's about it's about is there such thing as team chemistry? And it's I think it's yeah. following the 2012 about halfway through it, San Francisco Giants and how some teams right. are better than the sum of their parts. Uh, Jesse Itzler, Living with the Monks. I read Living with a right. Seal. Got to know him a little bit. He's a it's a pretty cool guy. I've read this once before, but I'm rereading it um, at the suggestion of A.J. Bouye, whose corner we picked up. Absolutely. It's Tim Grover, Relentless, and it's a sports mindset book. And then finally, The, the Fighter's Mind. I read this not a long time ago, but I'm rereading it a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll work on those books. I'm one of those guys I, I read. I read like a chapter of one book and then go to the other book, read a chapter of that book, and just kind of slowly work my way through a couple so my ADD doesn't kick in. I was about to say, that's impressive that you can do that and pick up where you were at one book at one time and remember where you were in the next one at the next time, right? That That's not the easiest thing in the world to do. 
Yeah, you know, I, I just have a pen. I keep working. I, I use Audible, too. Um, yeah. uh, so I, I listen to books as well. So, like, I'm I'm listening to, like, four different books right now. And I just, you know, again, just listen. I get in the car. I try to I try to spend my time in the car listening to books or podcasts as opposed yeah. to listening to music. I mean, I'll, I'll throw a little uh, Dave or Chris Stapleton on when I need to just relax. But, and you know, between between listening to books and reading books, I'm just trying my best to learn from others so that I don't so that I don't have to learn just from my own mistakes. Well, well, if I can suggest a podcast, Half Forgotten History, uh, Trey Winkle presents YouTube. Tremendous. You might want to just may, might download that. It'll give you plenty of episodes uh, to filter through. I, I want to give you a book recommendation, too. I, I'm sure you've read it. Uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, one of my favorites. One yeah. of my absolute favorites. The thing I, that I, I have his book, The Bomber. The Bomber. Um, I haven't read it. The, the athletic trainer gave it to me. His his book, which I think was a podcast that turned into a book, like the Bomber Squadron. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but I, that'll be after camp. Yeah. My, my favorite thing about the Outliers book was the whole premise was it's not doing something. It's doing the same thing 10,000 times under unique circumstances that sometimes makes you great or not, which I thought was the coolest thing about the book. That's right. 10,000 10, 10, hours or 10 years. Yeah. And that, that research comes from Erickson. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And it's like it, it just talks about the difference between experts and novices. It's um, it's the concept of mastery, you know, and, um, that's why, you know, I, I bring it back to football. Like you're asking a quarterback who's been in the NFL for a year or two to be an expert. Like why, why is Tom Brady? Why is Drew Brees? Why are they so great with it? Cause they spent 10 years. They've got more yeah. than 10,000 hours. They see every little thing. And, you know, it's obviously some of it's innate, but a lot of it has just come from time. And so you got to give guys time to become experts. And in the situation that you're in with the Panthers, you obviously got a, a big long-term deal right away. So you have some time, but obviously time goes pretty quickly in the NFL. What are the things you need to address as the head coach for the Panthers this coming season to make sure it's a better season than it was a year ago? Um, I mean, we have to be better in every regard. I think when, you know, um, you know, we had a bunch of games come down at the very end of the game and we didn't execute uh, to win games when we had a chance to uh, turn the ball over in key moments. Special teams weren't good enough. I mean, I, I just don't, you know, I hate to put it in any one thing. There were games where we couldn't get off the field on third down. So right. I think for all of us, it's just year two in the system. Year two, when I say system, like just our total program and then offense, defense, and special teams, really understanding not just what we're asking you to do, but how we want you to do it and why we want you to do it. And I think when you have that player start to have real ownership. And so um, – but but at the end of the day, you know, when you're five and eleven, you know, you have a lot of close losses. Everyone has close losses. We've got to take it. We've got to really take a lead. Well, the one thing I I think that I, I've learned in all these years, you know, covering the NFL, and Bill Belichick mentions it all the time, that most games are not won; they're lost. Like you know, if you can minimize your mistakes you more likely than not are going to win more football games than you'll lose. Is that something you preach to your team? Yeah, I think that's like one of the. I think if you go back to Temple University to Baylor to here, like the first thing I talk about all the time is like, don't beat ourselves. Yeah. And um, a lot of times you beat yourself, not because you don't care or because you're unfocused, but because you're trying to do too much. And, you know, we want, we want to be a team that just stays within ourselves, you know, does, does, you know, does the things that we do well, trusts our training and goes out there and plays football and has fun. Like, like when you try to do too much, you end up, you know, you try to make a play, you make a play for the other team sometimes. And so right. getting all of our guys, and that's that's why coming away the training camp is so important for us. You build relationships, but you really build trust. And trust is trust is what, you know, you need to have a good football team. Well, you need trust and you need 
players to play to their levels. And obviously it certainly hurt you guys last year when McCaffrey was out. What are your expectations for Christian this year? Because the year before he had that spectacular thousand thousand season, which by the way, I don't know how you feel about it. To me, that's the benchmark for excellence at a running back anymore. I mean, you can have a 2000 yard rusher and that's great, but if you can have a guy who can excel in two areas of the field at the same time and be that productive to me that's like the gold standard of running backs now so how important is whatever the Carolina Panther success is going to be how much of that is tied to Christian being Christian 2019 Christian yeah and I, you know I you know I think Christian um, you know I want him to be you know I want him to be 2021 Christian and here, here's what I mean by that I think he learned a lot last year I think like sitting back and watching um, his perspective, like he's almost got like a coach's perspective now. Like he's always yeah. been the guy that like no one works as hard as him. No one spends as much time as him. No, I mean, like he, 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 he's an absolute grinder. He's a great teammate. But I think um, one of the biggest things is, is, is he has perspective now after just kind of having to sit back and watch. And I expect him to go out there and, you know, statistics are great, but you, great players cause winning. And I think Christian is the type of player for us that can help us win, that can cause us to win. And I think um, I think he's ready to do that. I think he's going to have a great year. Yeah, listen, he was just so spectacular the year before. And you're always a little trepidatious with running backs, but uh, you know, uh, are there any concerns long term for you with him uh, based on durability or anything like that? No, not at all. I'm not not one bit at all. I mean, he, uh, you know, it was what it was last year. You know, I mean, just. You know, you know, I think at the running back position, you're going to you're going to you're, you're going to get hit. You're going to get struck. You know, people always talk about, you know, how valuable is the running back position. But in most games, your running backs carry, the, you know, they touch the ball 50 percent of the time. You know, the, the greatest of receivers, you know, if they have a 10 catch game, it's like, you know, it's a huge game. So, you know, running backs, they, they touch the ball a lot. There's going to be things that happen, but no one no one prepares better. No one takes better care of themselves. And I think uh, last year was a great year for Christian physically to reset. And um, I know this, he, he, he's, he's, he's more than ready to go. Listen, we'll get into your college coaching in a minute because I know there's some great stories there I, I want to talk to you about. But how much or at all do you think about if the list of coaches that have made the leap from being really good at college to really good in the NFL? Because off the top of my head, it goes, you know, in, in, in somewhat modern times, Dick Vermeil, Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll – and I, I guess you could throw Jim Harbaugh in there a little bit, taking the Niners to the Super Bowl one year. Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin, for sure. As a member, you were part of his staff. No question about that. But the list is short, right? Like, how, how much do you think about that, or, or do you think about that at all? I, I don't – I mean, I, I got that question a lot as I went through the diff, different interview processes. Yeah. And I think, you know, the real, really it, the, the issue is, is that there's a great divide in college football between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. Um, there is there is no such divide in the National Football League, right? It's one of the few leagues that salary cap and all those things. The, the league is the league is designed. When you have success, you get a harder schedule. When you have success, you draft later. So it's it's designed, um, to, you know, to have parity. And I think when you win um, in college at the have schools, and you go to the NFL, it, it, it can be a little bit difficult, not for everybody, but for some people. I think when you've won at schools that are um, that aren't the haves, I'm not saying the have-nots. I mean, Baylor certainly is a sure. have, but right. but you know, it's that it doesn't have the budget of Oklahoma. You know, it doesn't right. have the budget of Alabama. When you've won at Temple, you've learned to look at the place and say to yourself, "Okay, how do we win here?" Um, yeah. 
you know, some, sometimes some college coaches, you know, they have fiefdoms. Like when they say something, it happens no matter what. And then, you know, if you're a guy like me and you're at Temple and you're having to or getting to work with your athletic director and all the other sports to make things happen when you're at Baylor and you're, you know, you're a part of the athletic department, not just your own entity. When you come into the National Football League, you know, these buildings have owners, they have businesses, they, you know, they have a, a human resource departments. You're someone who knows how to work with everyone. So I think I was uniquely prepared by, from those two places to see that, like, hey, the key when you get to the National Football League is to maximize your assets and maximize the things that you have. You're not going to just win because you out-recruited everybody. And at the same time, you have to work really well within the structure of the organization. Um that's why I felt like, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll have a chance to be successful. And, you know, I, I went down this year. Uh, we were on vacation. I went and spent the morning with uh, uh, Coach Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, um, because he, he made that jump. I spent, you know, I actually worked for Tom Coughlin. And um, at the end of the day, you know, people who are great with people, uh, people who, who motivate and bring the best out in people, they, they're always going to be successful. And you recognize that within five minutes of talking to Jimmy Johnson. And um, hopefully we'll, you know, hopefully we'll do that here. Speaking of successful, look, the stock answer is winning the Super Bowl. We all know that. But there's also realistic expectations. So year two for the Carolina Panthers, what would you consider it to be a successful season? You know, when I was at the Giants, Jerry Reese said this to me one time. He said, you know, obviously we want to win the Super Bowl every year. I'm not sure if we will. You know, it's hard to do. No one's ever done it every year. Right. Um, Except so for Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, we wanted to be a team at the New York Giants that came down the stretch every year with a chance, you know, fighting to go to the playoffs and have a chance to go win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And so, you know, I look at us in year two, and and we're we're better. You know, we have a lot of questions, but we're better. We're the youngest team in the National Football League. But I would like us to be a team as you come down the stretch in November and December that is fighting to go to the playoffs, that is fighting yeah. to get into the tournament. And then once you get there, I mean, who knows what happens? And so, um, there's a lot of things that have to happen. You know, I, I would love for us just to be a way better football team. I'd love for us to uh, do all the, the little things better than we did them last year. And we will. I'll just say that, and we will. But but I, I'd like for us to make a run and to go try to be a team that, that if you come to our games in December and people are taking their hard-earned money to come watch us play, they're coming to watch a game that could decide, you know, you know, hey, are we going to win the division? Hey, are we going to be a wild card? Hey, are we going to go get into the tournament? And that's 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 my goal. Well, listen, we certainly saw that last year. You know, people look at the Bucks and the display they put on uh, in the Super Bowl, but, you know, they had to play wild card weekend, and quite frankly, they had their hands full with Tyler Holinsky and the Washington football team on wild card weekend before they found their rhythm, and that was the first time we've seen a team play on wild card weekend play in the Super Bowl uh, since the Ravens made it uh, back there in Super Bowl 47. And with only the top seeds getting the buy, it certainly feels like that might be more of a possibility going forward. All right, let's take one more break here with Matt Rule. When we come back, we'll talk about the things that happened before he got to the Carolina Panthers and how he became sort of the grand fixer-upper, if you will, of college football, taking dilapidated programs and, and making them successful. Back with Matt Rule right after this. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Bourbon Time. Even if you don't have the traditional 9 to 5 schedule, there's no denying that this past year has changed the way that work and rest intersect. Without a designated office to come home from, we're missing that natural break in our days. And our friends at Maker's Mark recognize this phenomenon and want to help us out a little bit. Beat the burnout and start blocking off the hour of 6 to 7 p.m. as your me time when you do what you love for you and only you. 
For me, I like to sit back with a nice drink of Maker's Mark over some ice. And what I love about Maker's Mark is it's so smooth. There's no bitterness, and it's silky, kind of like all of Ron Burgundy's ties. It's fantastic. So let's make the idea of bourbon time a reality. Join me in reclaiming 6 to 7 p.m. as the happiest hour so you can do whatever it is that makes you happy. And if it involves a glass of bourbon, remember to drink Maker's Mark responsibly. Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol by volume, copyright 2021, Maker's Mark Distillery Incorporated, Loretto, Kentucky. All right, so we're talking with Carolina Panthers head coach Matt Rule, but long before he was the Panthers head coach, he was considered the grand architect in college football. Matt, you were a walk-on at Penn State, parlayed that into playing time. You sort of bounced around for a few years and and then got your first big break when Steve Adazio left Temple to go be the BC head coach, and you turned around a Temple program and brought them back-to-back double-digit wins seasons for the first time, what, since 1941, I think it was. Um, What is it? And then you did the same thing at Baylor when you went there. One one win the first year after the whole Art Briles mess, and then seven and six in a bowl win the next year, and then ten wins uh, the year after that. What is it about you that allows you to build from basically the stripping down to the studs and bringing them back up? You know, that first year we were 0-5 at Temple, and I got a call from Dick Vermeil, who you brought up before. And, I, you know, I barely knew him. He was friends with a trustee. He had come to a practice one time. He said, Matt, I know what you're going through right now. Like, don't just just do me a favor. Don't listen to anyone. You know, just, just, just do what you think is right. Stick to what you believe in. Uh, don't panic. Um, and, and see it through. And I got to the end of that year, and everyone wanted me to fire everybody. And I said, no, we're, we're not going to do things differently. We're just going to do them better. And I think that that belief and that adherence in the process that we have, um, I think that that desire not to panic, even though, you know, you're getting a lot of pressure to panic, uh, doing what you think is right. um, I think just making it about people like, you know, at at the end of the day, like uh, you're you're you play freshmen and sophomores and you're not that good. But you know that eventually like you can see where they can be if you practice and believe in them and. Um, and then the willingness to just take it on the chin, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, if you're willing to stand there while people say you can't coach and that you shouldn't be coaching, you know, um, I, I, I always tell my teams, you know, the, the, the famous quote, like, you know, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they, you know, the, then they try to kill you and then they build monuments to you, you know, um, yeah. like just go through those stages and just be the same guy the whole time. So I think those are the things that we did. You know, we constantly tried to find ways to do things better, like, we are in a perpetual suit. We are in a perpetual pursuit of better. Um, I always tell people it, it, it's hard to work here because we could be doing something really well and I'm going to question it. And I expect our coaches to question me. You know, we're trying to always find a way to do something better. And um, I, I think that's really it. You know, I'll say this. I'll say, you know, Temple was one thing. Baylor was a whole other thing. Baylor sure. was, um, I thought, going to be, you know, a little bit messy and it was a mess unlike anything else. But but at the end of the day, Baylor's a great place and it had great people. And so, you know, I went there and I took Bruce Arians advice. When I got the, the temple job, Bruce called me and he said, listen, when I was coaching there. We had to practice in an armory. We had nothing. But but just remember this at Temple, you have everything you need. You have great people. And I went to Baylor and I found great people like Mac Rhodes, you know, like Scott Drew, like Kim Mulkey, like so many more like our players and, and just tried to focus on the positives when everything else, all the noise from the outside world was, you know, shut the program down, you know, do this, do this. And I just told our guys, like, let's control what we can control and take it one day at a time. And 
You know, if we went one and 11, that wasn't very good, but we just stayed the course, didn't panic, focused on the people, try to get 1% better every day. And pretty soon we were in the sugar bowl. It, it is amazing. Like I knew you were going to probably leave temple because someone has back-to-back double digit wins, you know, at temple seasons, they think, okay, this guy can build, but what made, what made the idea of, like you said, stepping into that mess and I can say that because it was my alma mater. What what made the idea of stepping into that mess and wanting to go through that again appealing to you? That was the part I never could quite understand. You know, there's a lot of things. Um, I felt like it was time to leave Temple. We had done all we could do. And it was right. time for someone else to take a turn. And I had some opportunities. And um, I really believed in Mac Rose, the athletic director. I knew him. And I think, you know, to be great at anything, you have to have a great partnership. Like it has to be you and your owner or you and your AD. You have to bet on that person. Um, you know, Baylor's a Baptist school and, you know, my dad's a, a minister. And I felt like, you know, who else is a football coach who's the son of a minister um, that could understand that, you know what, it's not just about coming here and coaching great football. It's also about uh, observing, living, defending, upholding the, the greater mission of the university. Um and I wanted to be in Texas. You know, I said to myself, like, I don't, I don't want to get on a plane every weekend and go recruit everywhere. Like, that's not me. Like, I want to get in my car and I want kids to play for me. They can, you know, the parents can come see them. They can drive. You know, I, I just like the idea. And I wanted to go to Texas and see if I could do it there. So it was as scary a decision as, as I've ever made. And when I say I, Julie and I made that decision. And we were sitting right. there and at a restaurant in New York City, like two two opportunities in hand. And we, and we took Baylor. But. I felt very much so like we were supposed to be there. And um, I'll say this, you know, I took that job not knowing if we'd be successful, but I believed that someone had to go there and get the, the, the football program right, had to move the program past the, you know, whatever industry, I'm not going to get into that, but like sure. indiscretions and whatever had happened, I, I wanted to it was move a mess. the program. It was a that. mess. It was a mess. Yeah and, yeah. and I also think that, Trey, you know, one thing that people forget is that even bad teams, like even that one and 11 team, they need a good coach too. They need yeah. someone who's teaching them about life. They need someone who's pushing and developing them. So I said to myself, I don't know if we'll do it on the field, but we could do something really special off the field here. And you know what? We did it off the field and we did it on the field as well. And, you know, I can wear my, 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 my Baylor green very, very proudly, you know, when I, when I go places. Yeah, listen, one thing about Waco, it is centrally located. I mean, I, you know, I-35 North gets you to Dallas, I-35 South gets you to Austin. The Waco Temple Colleen, the great central Texas metroplex, can be a great launching pad for a lot of places. I, I knew eventually you were going to get offers in the NFL. And, and we had actually talked about that a little bit uh, over text while you were there. When did you really think, okay, this might happen sooner than I thought? I think... Um... I think, you know, that when it happened, like, you know, I, I had had conversations that, you know, the previous two years and it just never was right. Yeah. Um, I thought this year, I thought what we had done was, you know, I thought what we had done was had brought the, brought the place full circle. You know, everyone was graduating. We were winning community service awards. We were doing the right things off the field. You know, we were in the Big 12 championship game. Um, you know, we, we finally beat Texas, <laughs> finally beat TCU, two things I wanted to do. I wanted to get Oklahoma, but you know I couldn't get Coach Riley. He's he's so good at what he does. Oh, um, you had him for that one game, damn it! I know. Took took him to the you know took him to the Sugar Bowl. So I felt like hey, we had done what we came to do, yeah. right? Like um, yeah. we had you know I always told our guys like you know you guys will be a thirty for thirty someday. Like I, I don't know if nationally people can ever understand like what it was yeah. like on the inside, like yeah. going from where we were to where we ended up. But I thought the whole narrative had changed. 
and we had done what we what we were called to do, and it was time to go do something else. And um, um, you know, I had a chance to meet uh, Mr. Tepper, and like I said, I believe in true partnerships, great partnerships. And when I was at when I was at Temple, I had a great athletic director in Pat Kraft, now at AD at Boston College, like a partner. I had Mac Rhodes at Baylor, and I knew I wanted to have that same partnership. And so when I met when I met David Tepper, I was like, okay, this is the type of guy that like that 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 I can I can I can go work for and know that every day uh, I have a partner. I'm not just working for someone. I'm working with someone to get something done. And so um, I think meeting Mr. Tepper was when I knew, hey, it's, this is time. Well, it's interesting because Mr. Tepper, as you call him, I'll call him David because he doesn't sign my checks. Uh, you know, David said something at the time which I thought was really interesting, and it really cr- turned into something else. He said, we just got each other. You know, we, we got along, and then there came this sort of, backlash from that comment almost uh from people saying well that's that's the problem with hiring in the nfl is that we don't have a lot of people in power uh who are minorities that can say well you know i i look like this guy or you know we we just got each other were you expecting that as part of that process when he said that i i honestly like you know not coach say don't pay i I didn't even hear that i I didn't you know i i didn't know that i mean i i think that um uh, the hiring of minority coaches is something that has to be improved and has to be fixed. And so let, let me start there. There's so many guys that are deserving of an opportunity and, and that's all people need sometimes. I'll just say this, like if Steve Adazio doesn't leave after year two and the, the, the Temple players don't say, please just bring a guy back that we know, I never get a head coaching job. I'm, you know, I'm coaching the tight ends, you know, in the NFL right now. So, you know, I recognize that I'm only here because I got an opportunity because someone was familiar with me. Um, that being said, I, you know, I, you know, I, I would say that I clicked with Mr. Tepper, not on, you know, us having similar backgrounds or anything like that, but I think really just on, this is how I see football and yeah. it's how he sees his business and how he sees football. And so I think that alignment is what I call it. That alignment, when you share the same vision, the same belief, that's the only way this works. If you don't have that alignment, if you don't believe the same things, it doesn't mean you don't disagree. But if you don't yeah. believe the same things, you're never going to be successful. And that's how I felt, you know, that's how I felt when I met Mr. Tepper. And that's why I was willing to, I mean, I, I picked up and moved my family from a place we were really happy. I mean, I had a, people talk a lot about, you know, you had a long contract. I, I had the same contract that Baylor did pretty much. Did. Like yeah. Baylor had made a, an unbelievable commitment to me. So it was really more about, it was really more about Mr. Tepper and believing in who he was and looking at a place in Carolina that has not won a, a Super Bowl. And saying to my, they've had great years. They've been to the Super Bowl, and, and John Fox is a great friend of mine. Ron Rivera is a man I respect, so I say that respectfully. But you know, it's not very often in life you have a chance to try to go be the first. And so I said to myself, you know, new owner, a guy that I understand, um, which was tremendous opportunity. Well, let's give it a shot, and let's let's go try to make this thing work. And, and and I've loved every day of it since. You said something really interesting there because you you knew you had accomplished what needed to be done at Temple you knew you had accomplished what needed to be done at Baylor. In your mind, what will it take for you to feel like I did what I needed to do here with the Carolina Panthers? You know, um, I, I'm a unique person, not unique. I, I, I look at things, I'm the same as a lot of people, but like I, I look at things very simply. Like I, I don't say, hey, like I'm here to win the Super Bowl. So I'm not, I don't say I'm here to win the Lombardi Trophy. Obviously, that's our mission every year. We want to get right. it done. But, but I, want, I want to build... And when I say I, all of us, I want us to build the best franchise in the National Football League from the way that we 
travel to the way that we do things, the way that we treat people. Like to me, everything is part of it. How you do anything is how you do everything. So I want to be a part of the best organization in pro football and maybe even the best organization in pro sports. Now that's a tall task and that, that, that that's respectful of everybody else. We might be tied with a lot of other people, but I want to be able to say, Hey, we do things at a level that no one else does or that very few do. And so um, that, that's when that's done. I think that, you know, I think that winning and championships and trophies and rings, I think all of that comes when you have that purpose. And, uh, you know, I learned that from Tom Coughlin. You know, I mean, everything was important to Coach Coughlin. And so, you know, I want to do that. Um, you know, if we have success, it's not going to be like, all right, well, that, that's good. Let's end it. Like to me, it's it's when I feel like we've done all that we can do and there's nothing else left to accomplish and um, at this level, there's really no other level to go to. So, you know, I want to see how long I can do this at a high level. And we'll see how far you go this year in year two as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Matt, it, listen, it's, it's been great talking to you. Obviously, I consider you a friend and uh, I wish you all the best this year. And we'll see what happens with the Panthers in 2021. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. So thanks to Matt Rule, and best of luck in his second season as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. We'll see if he can rebuild an NFL team the way he's done it several times in college. Coming up next, though, it's a regularly scheduled episode of Half Forgotten History with my friend Trent Dilfer. His story has been remarkable, from somewhat of a failure as a high draft pick with the Tampa Bay Bucks to finding redemption as a member of the Baltimore Ravens, and then heartbreak and finding his purpose after the loss of one of his children. That's all ahead in the next episode of Half Forgotten History with my friend Trent Dilfer. We'll see you then.